All right, we're going to finish a preaching series tonight, Types of Christ. How many people have been enjoying it so far? Hopefully hands are going. Uh, and the goal of it so far, if you haven't been with us for the last eight weeks or however long it's been, we've been going through it. it a type of Christ is where do we see a, a picture, a, a metaphor, if you will, of Christ in the Old Testament. It's never a perfect example, but it's a, the word type means a stamp. And it's somewhere in the Old Testament that it, it shows us, uh, God gave us a picture of what Christ would be like when he came. We get to see that Jesus isn't just a character in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but he has always existed and will always exist. In John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, all things were created through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. That means Jesus was at creation. And so Jesus was all through the Old Testament, and today we're going to speak about David. You excited? How many people before tonight have, have known and seen David as a type of Christ? Be honest, you might have studied this before. Awesome, we're going to have some fun tonight. If I could get uh, that first scripture up on the screen, Ezekiel chapter 34. Verses 23 to 24, if you're taking notes. This is Ezekiel. This was written in about 550 BC. David lived in about 1000 BC. So this verse we're about to read was written 450 years after David was alive. Here, let's read it. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be a prince among them. David has already lived, and this is 450 years later. The next verse, Ezekiel 37, just a few chapters later, 24 and 25. My servant David shall be king over them. And they shall all have one shepherd. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. Let's have a look at how David is a type of Christ. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we love you. And God, we just thank you so much. As we continue to study your word and look at your word and desire to know your word more and more and in depth more and more, we pray for revelation. God, we don't want just information. We can learn about your word and memorize some scriptures. That is not our heart's desire. Our heart's desire is to know you more. I pray for revelation as we open up your Bible, we can see, Jesus, that you truly are everywhere. We can see you as more sovereign. We can see you as more supreme. We can see you as more in control of our current situation now than we previously did when we get how eternal you really are. So preach through me, Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. A couple of years ago now, about three and a half, I uh, had the opportunity to go to Kazakhstan. And it was, a, it was a fun trip. It was a wild trip. Uh, pastor Richard Green is a pastor in Sydney. And he, the, I did a master's under his guidance. He's about to finish his PhD. And so he's you know, an absolute beast, if, if we're honest. He's uh, pastored C3 Ride for 20 years. They just had their 20th celebration. They, out of their church, have started 38 churches, as in people they've sent and funded. They've started 38. In terms of people like Pastor Charles, we just saw in Kupang, who Richard trained him, mentored him, and uh, helped him plant and funded him for a season, but he didn't come out of right. In terms of people like that, they've started 117 churches in 20 years. He's an absolute madman. 
and anointed by God. And so we got to do this trip and uh, the, you know, their biggest kind of gathering before was about 15 pastors because it's not, it's not really allowed Christianity over there. It's a very boxed Christianity and uh, the, you know, there's some restrictions in what they can do. And at this conference, it was just, it, yeah, it was crazy. It was five days of literally we were there. Our first meeting was 8 a.m. We were getting home at about 11.30 p.m. And then you've got to wind down. So you're getting to bed about 1 a.m. and starting at 8 a.m. the next day again, five days straight. Uh, I think I preached like eight times. And we had to pray and prophesy for people every night for about an hour and a half every single night. And so you're just exhausted. And I'm just sitting there and I was like, to getting, trying to get to know these young guys and you know they're like uh, 18 to 25 kind of bunch of them and trying to talk English they've learned like a bit of English off TV and stuff and they're trying to engage with you and I'm like has anyone been in that situation when you're talking to someone who kind of knows English but kind of doesn't you've got to work hard at that conversation like that is like oh, uh, um, and I'm asking a question they're like oh, I don't understand and so it's like draining and I just got to a point I was like are there like markets around here? And they're like, what? And we're like Google translating. I'm like, I just need to go for a walk. I just want to like get out and see something. And they're like, oh, okay. I have to Google translate. About 100 meters up the road, there's some markets. And I'm like, lunchtime, I'm going. Let's just go for a walk. I don't even think we're allowed, but I'm like, I've got to get out of here. And we walked in there. And it's like, it's not like a Cuda in Bali market. It's not that, but it's not like a shopping center. So it's kind of halfway. And they have all of these like fake merchandise everywhere. And I'm like, this is actually pretty awesome. This place is cool. And there's, you know, um, Yeezy shoes. Has anyone ever heard of? Yeah, half people are like, of course. The other people are like, what the heck is that? Well, they're a brand of uh, style of Adidas that are worth like $900, some of them. And on the wall, there's these fake Yeezys for $20. And I'm like, ha, 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 ha. Everyone's going to think I'm just the coolest guy ever. And so clearly, I've got to buy some of these Yeezys. And I'm like getting my size and put them on. I'm like, sweet go back to the place, actually put them on for the rest of the day. They were, without a doubt, the most uncomfortable shoe I have ever owned in my life. When you pay $20 for a pair of $900 shoes, you've got to expect that. But still, the worst shoe ever. So uncomfortable, blisters on my feet, and so awkward, and to the point that it actually drove me. I, I'm getting... I'm just getting to this point now, I, I, I like a bargain and, and you know, I like saving money, but I just refuse to on shoes anymore. I, like, I need some good shoes now. And so these $20 shoes are just the worst things ever. And I come home, I'm like, had up, I've had it up. I'm buying some new shoes and I'm not going to get some cheap knockoffs anymore. And you get some new shoes, if you know the feeling. And you know when you get like good new shoes, sometimes we spend like $200 on like awkward shoes. Ladies, I don't know what you're thinking buying high heels for like $400 where it's like, Oh, this is such a good investment. And it's like, yeah, really. But I bought some like amazing Adidas. I didn't wear them tonight. They're at home. But like these amazing Adidas. Like they've got the boots sold. Like they're the most comfortable thing ever. The moment I put the good Adidas on, who, that costs significantly more than the $20 ones. But still, the moment I put them on, I was like, oh my goodness. My feet just encountered salvation. Like this is what heaven will feel like walking on clouds. Like it. The difference is chalk and cheese. The difference is amazing. There's, there's similarities. They're both Adidas, right? They both say Adidas, let's say that. Very, very different, the impact on me. Both, both the shoes, both say Adidas. Chalk and cheese, the comfort factor. 
Sometimes I encounter people and their Christianity is just lacking. It's just lacking. I have no other word to say. They call themselves Christian. They own a Bible. They might even go to church and they know some verses. They, know, they own Hillsong albums and you know, things like that. But there's just a lack there. And the reason we want to do Types of Christ right now is if I can help people have one thing. I've said this often, but this is seriously, when it comes to theology, this is like my, the one thing I want people to get. It's a term called high Christology. In the world right now, you will hear preaching, and not many people use the term low Christology, but you will hear teaching that Jesus, we should do this because Jesus did that. And what it becomes is low Christology because Jesus isn't presented as redeemer, he's presented as example. It's not incorrect, it's just low. We should serve because Jesus served. We should give because Jesus gave. We should love because Jesus loved. And can you see how it's truth? It's just a lower truth. You shouldn't serve because oh, I've got to copy Jesus. He serves, so now I serve. You should serve because the King of kings and the Lord of lords entered your heart and changed you and made you born again and made you a new creation. He has washed away all works needed to get to God. You are now in a loving relationship with the Father God, the one true King. And now guess what? You don't have to serve. But when I leave it at that and you get that first revelation, you'll naturally want to serve because you want other people to experience the same loving Father in heaven you've experienced. See the difference? When you preach, get a high Christology. He is unlike anyone else. He is supreme. He is sovereign. Jesus Christ is above everyone else. And when you get that, you drink his living water. It changes you. It overflows and it helps you live with him and then for him. The reason we want to speak on David tonight and, and finish this series, it, it, just in case, the goal of me getting tonight is not for you to go, wow, David, there's a lot of similarities there. That's fantastic. It's so much more than that. I want you to fall more in love with Jesus tonight. Is that cool? So in the next, wow, Tali, you must have spoken for a long time. In the next 15 minutes, let's do it. Five things, three minutes each. All right, we can do this. Number one. The similarities. He was a shepherd that often got alone to be with God. Most of the, the men that God chose to use in the Old Testament were shepherds. I find a very fascinating thing. David was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Uh, Abel, the first person born into the world, was a shepherd. And so these amazing things happen with this shepherd. God wants us to have shepherd hearts. God wants us to fall in love with people. And he chooses, he chose, chose people in the Old Testament who get that. They get that their, their, their job, their calling is to help the sheep. And they're the people God wants to use to send into the world. See, David was the youngest of all his brothers, the son of Jesse, and he was often forgotten about. He was often forgotten about, and they're like, wait, where's David? When, when Samuel the prophet came uh, because God sent him to Jesse's household, and God said, in Jesse's household, one of his sons will be the next king. Samuel went through every single son. He's like, is it this one? He's strong, he's handsome, he's a warrior. No, it's not. He went through all of them until he ran out of, there were no more children of Jesse in the house. And Samuel's like, but I got a word from God. You, you must have another son. And literally, Jesse's like, oh, 
Oh yeah, I've got one more who's out in the field. He was so forgotten about as this shepherd. David was just like, look after the sheep. The rest of the brothers will do the man kind of work. And what we find in that moment is God saw this guy forgotten about by the world, but fall in love with the sheep, tender, look after the sheep and would worship to God. It's an amazing thing in the Bible in First. Um, 1 Samuel, I believe it's 16, Saul, the current king at the time, was getting tormented by this evil spirit. And they're like, we need someone who's, who's excellent at playing music. And they find David. David comes in and starts playing on the harp. How many people want to know the harp? I mean, that's one of those things. You ever, you ever walk into a fancy restaurant and there's a harp and you're like, dang, I wish I could just play that right now and just impress the socks off everyone. But David was so good at music because out in the field where no one was watching, he was worshipping God. He had that relationship. He was a shepherd who loved being in the presence of God. We see the same thing with Jesus Christ. As he comes into the world, he comes as a shepherd. If you haven't read John chapter 10, just read John chapter 10. We see this shepherd God. And and again and again and again and again throughout the gospels, Jesus would sneak away to be with God alone. Oftentimes, Peter's looking for him. They're like, Lord, we finally found you. Where were you? And he's like, I, I, I was praying. I, I, I snuck away to be by myself with God. Before Jesus prayed for and announced his 12 disciples, it says he spent the night on the mountain praying. Jesus would often get alone to pray with God. Before dying on the cross for us, Jesus was alone praying. Jesus was the shepherd who often got alone to be with God. David was the shepherd as well. He came as a servant. I love that image. You know, when, so uh, Goliath, in case you guys aren't that familiar with the story, there's these two armies. The Israelites are God's people. And that's where David is. And over here are the Philistines. And the Philistines come and they're threatening them. But what they threaten them with is one big dude. His name is Goliath. And it, it, he was just massive. And he was a warrior. And says he was way taller and bigger than everyone. And they said, send out your best person from the Israelite army to fight me one-on-one. If you beat Goliath, then we will be your slaves. But if Goliath beats your guys, then you'll be our slaves. And so for 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath, it said, would taunt them. He would come out taunting them, which I'll get onto soon. But in this moment then, all the Israelites are like, what are we going to do? Who are we going to send out to fight them? And it says, and David came because Jesse sent him with bread and cheese for the soldiers. David didn't come to fight. David came to serve. Is that the coolest thing ever? David didn't come to fight. David came to serve. What a picture of our Savior. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. In John chapter 13, Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. He says, this I have done as an example for you. Now go and do likewise. We see David and we see Jesus both come as servants. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 6, 7, and 8 speaks about how Christ didn't see equality with God as something to hold on to, to be grasped, but let go of that, making himself nothing and taking on the form of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. We see David come as a servant. We see Jesus come as a servant. Number three, David refused to fight an expected way. So in that time, so Saul's yelling out and David looks and they're like, what the heck? Why isn't someone killing this dude? And they're like, what do you mean? He's massive. He's scary. None of us have got the, the guts to go out and do it. And David's like, I'll do it. Send me out. 
They're like, no, you can't go out. And he goes, no, no, trust me. I'm, I'm pretty good. He says, look, when I was looking after the sheep, a lion came and tried to steal a sheep. And so I killed it. And then a bear came and I killed it as well. And so like, I've got some, some runs on the board. I don't know how. Anyway, Saul is convinced. Saul's like, fine, go. But before you go, this is the bit. Before you go to fight Goliath, wear my armor and take my sword. David tries it on. It's too big. It doesn't fit. And he's like, no, I don't, I don't want this garbage. He goes back to his servant shepherd clothes. He walks down to the stream. It says he picks up five smooth stones. What an amazing image. No, you should look like this. You should fight like this. And he says, no, I won't fight that expected way. I'll fight this way. Jesus, the, the interesting thing historically about Jesus' time is the Israelites have been waiting centuries and centuries and centuries for a Messiah to come and overthrow the Roman Empire that was ruling the world at the time and reinstate Israel's land. And as a nation, they wouldn't be under the dominion of Rome anymore. And so again and again, they're like, is it now? Is it now you're going to restore the kingdom? Is it now you're going to restore us? They literally expected this physical king and a physical fight. They expected Jesus to come with the sword and kill everyone and then wear a crown and be king. That's what they expected. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that because my kingdom is not of this world. He didn't fight with the sword. and Instead, when the disciples tried to, he rebuked them. He said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. He came and he laid down his life and through that rose again and now has a spiritual heavenly kingdom. He didn't fight an expected way. Two more, two last bits. I want you to catch it. These are so cool. If you, I just love this. I love this topic of types of Christ. This is the, the bit we see about David and Jesus. He defeated the taunter, freeing God's people. The amount of times I've heard messages like, hey guys, you're David and you need to go out and fight your Goliaths. Why don't you get strong and courageous and go and take down the giants in your world? It's hogswash. I, I get passionate about that. I probably shouldn't have called it hogswash. It, it's a lesser truth. There are giants in your world that I, I, yes, believe with you, I'd love to see you have faith and tear down, but that's a lesser truth. Do you want to know the greater truth? You and I are the scared Israelites standing on a hill with an enemy too powerful and too great for us to defeat. And we couldn't move. We were immobilized. We are not David. We're the scared Israelites. Jesus is the David who boldly and confidently as a servant stepped forward and said, I fight in the name of the Lord God Almighty. And in doing so, he defeated Goliath, the, the, the enemy we could not defeat. He, he pulled down Goliath to the ground with one blow. Jesus did the same as sin and death and the law was taunting us and screaming at us saying, you need to fulfill me to get to heaven. You've got this nature inside you that you will die. You, you don't deserve God. And this law with its requirements screaming at us, Jesus fulfilled the law, brought its power to the ground. And now it's through faith we get to go to heaven to be with him. Amen. I'll finish with this. Thank you, Lord. Number five, his victory brings confidence to fight in God's people. It says the Israelites, after David defeated Goliath, the Israelites were so confident that they chased the Philistines out and defeated them then and there. See, our confidence, we weren't confident before Jesus went on the cross. You need to know that. 
But our confidence in this world, our confidence in this life, our confidence to literally start to make an impact in our community, to make a difference through faith in Jesus Christ, to make a difference in people's world, and and our confidence to go out and tear down strongholds and to tear down what Satan is trying to do in our world and to bring the power and the love and the life of God. Our confidence comes from looking back at the finished work of the cross. That's where our confidence comes. It's not in me. It's not our giftings. It's not our abilities. It's not our buildings. It's not anything that we can do. Our confidence that this church is making an impact is because we look back at the defeated enemy because Jesus has already won. That fills me with confidence to go and fight. I want to see miracles right now outside of this church building, in our Sozo groups and in our community and in our workspace and in our families. I'm believing for miracles. I'm believing for breakthrough. I'm believing for us to impact culture. I'm believing for our community to know that God loves them. Why are we waging war like this? Because I look back at the finished work of the cross and I've got confidence. I look back at what Jesus has already done. I'm like, whew, it's done. Goliath was brought to the ground. Now I'm confident to go and fight. See, our confidence comes through Jesus, amen? It's not in how great you are. It's not in how much you know the Bible. It's not in how little of the big sins you've been doing lately. I haven't haven't done those big sins in ages, Dan. I feel pretty good. That's not where our confidence comes from. Our confidence comes through what Jesus did on the cross.